Dear Lord, I pray that you would be with us as we um, learn more about your plan for our lives. Lord, we ask that we would um, strive to be more and more efficient, not so that we can do more of what we want to do, but more of what you have called us to do. We pray that you would forgive us for um, some of our uh, lacking and following your plan and intemperance and some of the things that we do. And Lord, I just again ask that you would send your spirit to be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so how many of you guys have looked at different leaning principles or read books or different things? A few? All right. So I'm not going to cover some of the things that they cover. I'm going to cover some, uh, hopefully some different angles that apply more to us in our, in our walk. Um, so my name is Matthew Dealey. I'm from South Dakota. I've been there a year, and we're just in the process of getting our farm up and going. So this is a couple of my kids here out in the tomato field. Um, this is Hosanna and Hannah, and this is another one of my little girls, Hadassah, at a farmer's market, and that's Josiah. Um, So they're an integral part of our, of our life here. This is my whole family. And we're living currently with um, a couple. They're in their mid-70s. They started up a farm when we left South Dakota before. So they called us back, and we're partnering with them for a few years, and they're kind of handing over the operation. So this greenhouse that you see here, we just built this year. Um, anyway, everything is kind of new. So why lean for something better? That's the topic here. So I got some quotes here that may, maybe you've heard, maybe you haven't. Um, this one says, we each have a work to do for God. Whatever may be our occupation, those who are on their farms are not to think that it would be a waste of time for them to plan to go out and visit their neighbors and hold up before them the light of the truth for this time. For even if this does seem difficult to leave the farm work, Yet we shall not lose financially because of spending time and helping others. There's a God in heaven that will bless our labors. All right, so there's more, there's more to being lean than you know, making more money or uh, having more time. Having more time is good, but there's still a purpose for that time. Here's another one. But farmers themselves must get educated to give heed to the laws of life and health by regulating their labor, even if there is some loss in their grain or the harvesting of crops. Farmers work too hard and too constantly and violate the laws of God in their physical nature. This is the worst kind of economy. For a day he may accomplish more, yet in the end he is a loser by his ill management of himself. So we could probably stop right there. Um, instead of rendering to God the means he has placed in their hands, Many invest in more land. This evil is growing with our brethren. They had before all they could well care for, but the love of money or desire to be counted as well off as their neighbors leads them to bury their means in the world and withhold from God his just dues. Can we be surprised if they are not prospered? If God does not bless their crops and they are disappointed? Could our brethren remember that God can bless 20 acres of land and make them productive as 100, they would not continue to bury themselves in land, but would let their means flow into God's treasury. So another purpose of being lean is so that we have more to give to God, not to keep increasing our own farms. Take heed, said Christ, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, Satan is pleased to have you increase your farms and invest your means in worldly enterprises. For by so doing, you not only hinder the cause from advancing, but by anxiety and overwork, lessen your prospects for eternal life. So, Satan likes it when we're intemperate, when we have more than we can handle. Right? Um, but by anxiety and overwork, we lessen our prospects for eternal life. Here's another angle. Watch 
in your family. Don't speak a cross word. Don't raise the ire of your children when you should not, because this will not reform them. Take time aside to converse with them and pray with them and read the scriptures to them. What a work this is. This is what you want to do. Take time for it. You may say, my farm, yes, but cannot God bless your farm better if you have a united family to speak the same things, to work the same order, and will not the Lord let his rich grace rest upon you in wisdom and righteousness? So another benefit is that you'll have more time to take aside and spend with your, with your kids, with your family. The Lord would have all who are in his service to be learners, the tillers of the soil, the mechanics, the men who have learned their trades are still to be learning better methods, expanding, enlarging in their ideas. Those who do not think they can learn anything are not the ones who can be a blessing in the enterprises in which they are engaged. Those who are willing to learn are wanted. God is continually leading and instructing. Right, so we're to be ever improving, ever learning new things. Um, there will be a new presentation of men as breadwinners, possessing educated, trained ability to work the soil to advantage. Their minds will not be overtaxed and strained to the uttermost with a study of the sciences. Such men will break down the foolish sentiments that have prevailed in regard to manual labor. An influence will go forth, not in loud-voiced oratory, but in real inculcation of ideas. We shall see farmers who are not coarse and rough and slack, careless in their apparel and of the appearance of their homes, but they will bring taste into farmhouses. The cultivation of the soil will be regarded as elevating and ennobling. Pure practical religion will be manifested in, in treating the earth as God's treasure house. The more intelligent a man becomes, the more religious influence should be radiating from him. And the Lord would have us treat the earth as a precious treasure lent us in trust. This kind of reminds me of what Bob was talking about last night, you know, and how the farms represented their character, you know, and how they did everything. And this is what God is looking for here, is a well-ordered group of farmers. So I propose that leaning the farm is this, and this is just a few things, um, but allowing the farm to only control <coughs> a preset portion of your life. All right, so... Set a time, this is, this is what I'm going to do. It's not going to control everything because farming isn't everything or gardening or anything you do. Um, looking at every step of your operation and asking, how can I better bring glory to God? And then getting rid of all excess so that you can be a multi-purpose tool for God. You know, we've heard that uh, agriculture is the ABC of education, right? It's the foundation, but it's not the whole not the whole house, right? You got to have room for um, medical missionary work, for all, you know, there's so many different aspects. And if you're on the farm just pulling carrots, harvesting tomatoes, whatever, you, you know, you can miss out a lot of opportunities. Um, so farming is a tool, it's not the tool, it's not the only tool we have. And farming can be a tool to teach temperance or it can teach intemperance. It can teach the laws of health or it can teach you to violate the laws of health. It can help to unite the family or it can break it apart. Um, it can teach you financial stewardship or self-gratification. You, know, you can be continually grasping for more and more land or um, time management and balance. It can be Christ's classroom or it can be the devil's laboratory, right? especially with our, with our kids. You know, if you overwork, 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 um, it can, you can have a well-ordered family, or you can be disorganized. So I'm going to talk a little bit about eliminating waste. Um, here's a few different ideas of waste. Uh, one is, um, you know, we did some purging this, this winter, and we got rid of a lot of stuff. You know, and I believe one thing you don't hear in the lean farming books some of these different things is you don't really see the family aspect of it. It's just the farm. And for us, uh, you know, you can't have a lean farm without a lean house. You know, it's all one. If you're going to farmer's market and delivering all these things and you come back and your house is a chaos, it, you know, that's how you're going into Sabbath. It's, 
it's got to be a whole whole unit. So this winter we've been really working a lot to make our house more efficient. Um, <clears throat> so we're getting rid of waste, getting rid of clothes we're not wearing, and the kids had a lot of fun with this. So did I. Uh, another form of waste is you see these strawberries here. We got like a six-inch hailstorm and it wasted everything. So um, another picture of just stuff. Uh, so some different types of waste. Um, overproduction. Overproduction is a huge one because it causes all kinds of other uh, waste down the line. Too many varieties. This one's very tempting to most farmers, especially this time of year when they get the pretty catalogs. Um, Overharvesting is caused by generally overproduction. Uh, Overprocessing, defective products, motion, you know, just how your farm's laid out, how you do things. Uneven production, you know, so you have a lot of stuff one week, two weeks later, you're out, then you come back into the market with a bunch of stuff. Um, and you can see how overproduction leads to overharvesting. You know, when you overharvest, when you're harvesting things that you haven't sold, they sit in the cooler, and then you have to throw them away. You know, so um, there's lots of waste. Uh, overproduction is obviously very, very easy to do, and it affects every area of your life, not just on the farm, but um, you know, in your other life as well. And I, I think that this is one of the farmer's biggest temptations. This has been um, definitely a struggle in my experience as, as I learn. I'm definitely trying to cut back on that. So th this picture here is a beautiful cover crop, right? No. Wow. <laughs> this was a field that we let go. And then I felt really bad because there was stuff down there. So we weeded it, which was probably more foolish. Um, but it's character building, so we did it. And this is the picture. You know, there's, there's brassicas and there's kale and there's stuff there. But anyway, that's not lean. Um, but it happens. And the goal is to not let it happen. So another, another form of waste is defective products. You can see here in this picture, there's like, well, really bad germination and really bad germination. And, you know, if you have half a tray and you're having to carry the whole tray out there, it's just, uh, it slows everything down. It wastes space in your starts house. It's a mental drain because now you're having to plant these plants that are, you know, they don't have nice root balls. They're just a pain. And it makes you produce excess to make up for your lack you know, in your start, so, and there's lots of defective, it's just not starts, it's all over the farm if you let it. So here's some value adding um, activities and non-value adding, and obviously the non-value adding activities are what we would consider waste. So one example I have that hopefully you'll understand where I'm going with this is folding sheets, okay? In my opinion, and there's probably some people that, whatever, but I think you're wrong probably, is that folding sheets adds no value to my sleeping experience, right? If I fold them and put them in the closet, or even worse, if I fold them and then put them on the bed, it doesn't add any value. So for me, I thought, hey, this is cool. I hate folding, so we just have one set of sheets. We wash it, we dry it, we put it on the bed. And, you know, anyways, I don't wake up in the middle of the night thinking, man, these sheets are folded, they're really nice. <laughs> doesn't add any value to me. Um, and we're talking about adding value here. We're talking about the customer, you know, paying more money. So weeding, you know, I can't go to my customer and say, you know, you should come out to my farm and look how weeded it is, you know, how there's no weeds. It doesn't, they're not going to say, wow, let me pay you more. Um, opening and closing the greenhouses doesn't add any value. The harvesting tomatoes, that obviously adds value. All right, if they were to come out and harvest it, they would pay me a certain amount, which I, I don't do that, but... Um, they obviously pay more if I harvest it. So those are the things that I want to increase my time in, in the value-adding activities. Watering in the rain, obviously doesn't add any value. Displaying at market, if you have a really nice display, that can add more value to your product. Changing oil on the delivery van, 
your, your customer doesn't care, right? Unless you're paying him to change your oil. Um, listening to me right now, right? This is where. Anyway, you can't you can't say your customer. You know, I went and listened to this cool guy. You know, um, there's value, but not you're not adding value to your product. Looking for your fork to dig your carrots, people don't care. Washing your carrots, right? That adds value. You guys get the idea here, right? So there's things that you have to do that um, add value, but the goal is to eliminate the things that don't add value. Um, there's things, but you, you, you have to you have to weed, you have to water, but the goal is to eliminate as many of those steps as possible. So, talk a little bit about farm farm design. And this is obviously very condensed. You know, this, I've been to listen Hart, Ben Hartman for eight hours one day and other people, and it's a very broad topic that's hard to condense here. But um, <clears throat> we have, uh, currently we're growing, I'd say, on less than an acre. Um, we have a half acre in greenhouse, which is lean and it's not. You know, it depends on your situation. Um, it's, it's lean in the sense that I can open and close one greenhouse very easily compared to multiple, multiple small ones. But if you were starting out and you didn't know what you were doing, I wouldn't recommend it because it, you know, it can be a lot of money. So tools, um, you want to keep tools where you need them, not where you thought you put them. There's some pretty basic stuff here, right? But you know, we have this temptation to have a really nice uh, tool shed somewhere on the farm and we put all our tools there and every time we go to harvest tomatoes we have to go to that tool shed to get our tool and walk back and forth and it would be way better if you just had the tool for your tomatoes where the tomatoes are you know if you have multiple greenhouses you know keep what you need in that greenhouse so you're not having to walk back and forth all the time because you can waste a lot of time and motion keep the tomato tools with the tomatoes not in the tool shed across the farm etc so you want to start small, and you want to get smaller from there, <laughs> right? This is, this is one of the hardest things to do. But if, if you look at the really successful people in agriculture right now, um, you, know, you hear them, not, every, not everyone, but a lot of them are talking about getting smaller and smaller. Um, so you want to keep movement to a minimum. You want to locate the packing shed in a central location. You want to keep fields close together. You want to keep materials, row covers, etc., close to where you use them. Again, so you're not having to walk back and forth everywhere. Um, bigger greenhouses are easier to manage than lots of small ones, but again, this depends on your your uh, application. Um, here's an interesting one you guys can do. You can pay a friend to come over and track your movements for a day or half a day, whatever you want to do. Um, and they can ma make a map, and they can just draw a line everywhere you go, right? And then you can start to try and eliminate as many of those lines as possible. You know, if, if they see you walking back and forth to the tool shed, you know, figure it out. If you're in your packing shed and you're going in circles everywhere, you know, just sit down and logically start trying to figure out what you can do to make it better. And le <coughs> leaning is a, it's a constant process. You're always trying to make things better. Um, you don't arrive. I don't think you'll ever arrive. Hopefully not. Um, here's another picture of just, you know, small space. You can see the row cover there. We keep it right where we need it. Anyway. I tried to edit it, but that's reality. Um, we have a lot of wind there sometimes, so. Standardization, you want to make all the beds the same size if possible. So on our farm in our, in our greenhouse, we have everything is 70 foot beds, 70 foot long, they're 30 inches wide. Um, outside, they're 100 foot, that's the way it worked out, but we have two sizes. So all our drip tape is the same size, all our row cover, everything. You want to make irrigation, e irrigation easy to switch around and move if need be. The goal would be that you would have all the irrigation where you need it, when you need it, so you're not having to move it around, but um, the goal isn't always reality. Uh, and make it so that you can grow in incremental steps. So 
an example of this is when I put in the irrigation, I knew that I wanted overhead eventually. I couldn't afford it, but I put in the water so that all I had to do was hook it up to go there. I couldn't afford the whole thing, but I did what I could, so I didn't have to redo it later. Uh, start small. So a good principle here is build one greenhouse. Once you have it maxed out and efficient and operating well, then build another one and so on. The, the temptation is to you know, put up lots of them and be half good at all of them. I mean, that's not the goal, but that's oftentimes what happens. Um, don't borrow a bunch of money and experiment. Put in your time learning from somebody who is really good at what you want to do. In Ben Hartman's book, he says 10,000 hours is kind of where you start to get good. So that's not very hard for farmers. That's like one year, right? <laughs> no. Um, figure out your soil, your market, your limitations, etc. Et Master them, then move on. Um, and market, your market is obviously a huge one. So here's a few ideas for um, seeding the transplant. One thing that I've really tried to do on my farm, getting started, is do the best that I can with what I have the first time. Um, so instead of having my seed bench on a table and my trays on the floor and um, my, my mix, my soil mix somewhere else, and you know, I've done it in my living room, I've done it all over, but here, we, you know, I said I'm gonna build a bench. It's gonna take me more time than I wanna do, but then, all season, I'm gonna be happy, right? Because all my, my seeding tools are right there, my trays are right there, I can mix my soil right there, move on down the line. On the far end up there, you can see I have some slats so that I can seed and then I can water. And then I have a germination chamber that'll go right there so that I can just move right down the line into it and everything is right there. Um, I couldn't afford a dibbler, so I made one. This is just a piece of plywood. Drilled a bunch of holes, put the wire nuts through it, took a grinder, cut them off the back, and then screwed a piece of plywood on there. And it's really fast for making holes. You can buy them, but they're, for the paper pot transplant, are like $250, so. Things like this drastically speed up time. Before, I was doing it with my finger, yeah, and then you get different finger sizes and different depths. Your seeds are different depths. Things don't germinate as well, so. You can see the, the one on the left compared to the one on the right. This is the kind of germination you want, right? You want 100% germination is the goal. Um, the other one is just frustrating. So the goal is that every seed germinates. These are kind of the, um, you know, we, this, again, most of the stuff is just obvious common sense. But we usually, we're so busy trying to go through all the steps that we don't focus on getting really good at what we're doing. Um, so we want to do what it takes to get healthy starts. So that's creating the right environment. You want to store seeds properly. Right? You can have all the right steps, but if your seeds are sitting out in the sun and you go transplant them or seed them and they don't germinate, the problem is you don't find out until it's too late. You've wasted a whole bunch of soil, your time. Um, Another one is starting seeds at the proper time. Uh, use a germination chamber, helps a lot. I had a problem this summer with, um, it was too hot, so I built a germination chamber, I stuck it in my garage, and was able to control the temperature. Uh, this time of year, I use a small greenhouse that I built inside my big greenhouse that I can heat way easier, which helps a lot. And you want to water properly, and there's a lot more steps, but these are just some ideas. So here's the germination chamber that I built. I went down to a rough part of the, of the, of the city, you know, where you don't want to go during the daytime. And I found this fridge and they gave it to me for free. And I got these shelves from Menards and I built this germination chamber. It's got a <coughs> temperature sensor in there. I even put a cool light on there so when the um, humidifier is on, I can see that it's on. And on the top, it's set up for LED lights so I can put uh, like or head lettuce and that kind of thing that wants light, so it'll germinate better. I think this thing probably cost me $200 to build. Um, not too bad. And you can find plans for this online. I think they're $15 or something. 
So this is the grow box that I built, and I have, um, I have it so the lids open up with a drill. Um, so in this box, I had all my tomatoes in there. It's six by 24 feet long, and when it was 20 degrees or maybe a little colder, I had a little heater in there that was like this big, and it would keep it, it would keep it 65 degrees in there, which is pretty amazing for South Dakota. Um, cold nights. So that's the kind of thing that I'm trying to figure out so I don't have to heat the whole thing. Um, <clears throat> so another thing with uh, is you want to give crop space to grow. It's really easy to say, you know, just lay down the seeds. You know, just we're going to dump them in there and they're going to grow good, but it's better to take the time to make sure your crops are spaced properly. You know, so if you give a beet three or four inches to grow, it's going to grow a lot faster than if they're half inch apart and they all got to fight for space, right? Um, so get more airflow and less disease. More isn't always better. Usually it's worse, right? Remember, you want every seed to germinate to get to maturity. So if you're paying for a seed and you're taking the time to put it in the ground and you're taking the time to water it and everything, you want it to germinate. Um, things are faster to harvest and pack when they are a consistent size. Right? So if all your beets are the same size, it's a lot easier to fit them in the container. If you've got a bunch of small ones and a big one, you know, it just gets, it, it's harder. So. so this is one way that we do it um, to keep things consistent. In our greenhouse, we have no tractors. Um, we have broad forks and a little tiller, and eventually we'll get a tilter. But there's no tractors in there, so it's easy to standardize our beds. And we've put in a system so that um, we always have stakes in so that we can set up strings quick and easy. We can keep our lines straight. And this is totally contrary to my nature. Um, I'm the kind of let's get her done guy. But I'm learning that this doesn't really take any more time. And it's faster. Uh, it is faster, actually. And it looks way nicer. It's a pleasure to be around straight rows that are spaced nicely. It's easier to cultivate everything. So um, this is our broad fork. This is our tilling machine. Uh, this year we had a little bit of a problem because we had to drive on our greenhouse space with you know, 15,000 pound equipment, a lot, which wasn't good. I don't recommend that, but I had to get the greenhouse up. So we've had to decompact our soil, but um, these things are amazing. These are from Vashon Island, Washington. They're a lifetime broad fork. If you ever break it, you'll, you'll probably be broken too. Um, What's see? the name on that again? Uh, Meadowlark, I think. So I, I think they're like $200 or something, but, and these go like 14 inches. This is the, the manly one. We have another one that's for everybody, but this is like, yeah. Meadow creature, yeah, it's not meadow lark, that's a bird. So here we have, you can see some of our permanent uh, beds with our stakes, right? You see the stakes? No. no. You have to use your imagination, but they're there, and it's really nice because you don't trip on them, you don't fall. We had we had stakes that I put in, um, and I didn't like them because we have little kids, and we have older kids that have a hard time seeing, and the older you get, less you look at your feet, and uh, I didn't want people falling on them, so I made a little system so that you don't have to do that, and this is the beauty of lean, right? So the goal. The way I see it is when you look at all these books and all these ideas is not to just copy them, right? But to actually take the principles and try and make it better for what you're doing. Um, so I have a little video here. You can get the idea. But I, I put in stakes underground and when I need them, I just uncover the soil or you can put them at ground level and they're, they're always there, okay? It really doesn't take me that long when I do it normally. 
And I'm not using rebar. I'm, just, I'm using EMT because it goes in there better. But there you go. So I have, I have two stakes at each corner. Like I said, you can put them at ground level. I kind of thought it was fun to have them underground. But. It's fun, yeah. I made them myself. You know, anyway. So I, I just took a like a 16-inch piece of pipe, or 12, I don't know what it was, but, and put the end in a vise, crimped it, and then pounded it in the ground. And I took a socket that fits right over it nice and tight, so you can bang on the socket and it doesn't mess up the pipe. Um, anyway, I like it so far. So with that, you know, I have my, my pipes that stick up, and I made these pieces of wood that slide right over them and uh, you can put up your string for the outside perimeter and then I have nails on the boards for different layouts so if I'm doing one row I can put the string down the center if I'm doing three rows four rows whatever you want to do and it makes it really quick if you're hand transplanting to transplant straight rows and the only way I can do this is because I'm not tilling right I'm not taking a tractor in there and dropping it down and ripping through it if I was doing that I'd most likely hit these stakes and wouldn't work. So there's an idea. Those are those have been planted for a little bit, but you can see they're nice and straight. Um, and I didn't have to use a row marker or anything. So how many guys have heard about the paper pot transplanter? All the cool people are doing it, right? <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought I'd try it. Um, it works really good, especially for us because we have a lot of younger kids and um, I think they'll be more excited about this. I know I am. So it's extremely fast. It's economical compared to labor. It allows for earlier plantings in the spring because I can take my trays and put them in that box that I was growing in and have head lettuce that's this tall and transplant it, right? And whereas if it was outside, it would take a long time to germinate for soil temperatures to warm up. and. Uh, I don't have a lot of experience with it, but people like Ben Hartman and some of these other guys are cutting their time in half in the spring to get their first crop. So um, it's easier to control germination in a tray than in the field. It's simple technology, and it's a whole system that's really fast. You can get the seeding um, apparatus. You can get everything you need to make it fast. So here's a little video. I know it's not as good as the ones online, but this is real life, right? And um, I haven't mastered everything, so. And here I'm planting bunching onions that have three or four onions per cell. I think these are probably three inches apart or something, so. See my back is nice and straight. You're looking pretty lean. Yeah, look at that. So it's just a paper chain. It pulls them down there. See how hard my daughter's working? I know. So see, you can see my strings here, right? So I put my strings up, and then I, when I do it the first time, I'm following that string, and my, my chains stay super straight. And then from there, I can just move over. <coughs> see, I have my tools right where I need them. So there, you know, that's the idea. You get, do you guys catch all that, or is it too fast? <laughs> yeah. All right. That's the paper pot transplanter. They, this one cost me, I'd say, like three thousand dollars for everything I needed for the first two years. Uh, I got it from Small Farm Works. So <clears throat> and there's there's more and more people selling them now, but once you get the initial machine. Um, you're just buying the pots, so, and I, you know, they're kind of expensive when you look at them. But if you think like each beet or whatever you plant in there, you know, I think it comes out to two or three cents per cell. Um, so I, you know, I can take three or four beets and put it in a bunch and sell it for three dollars. So, in the end, it's not really that expensive. So there's another picture of my grow box. Um, what I'm planning on doing this year is putting radiant tubes under my starts. So 
so that I can put a temperature sensor in the starts and try and keep them at the optimal temperature instead of heating the air, which I think I'll get a lot better results. Um, so one of the reasons that we, you can see in the sky here, we get a lot of storms in South Dakota. And um, so this is why we put up large greenhouses because there's no sense in growing something that's gonna be destroyed. Um, so that, you know, there's another thing in, in lean is not putting all your work into something that is probably gonna be destroyed. You know, if you have a, a low area that fills with water every year, you know, deal with that issue. If you have, we had, in one storm, we had six inches of hail and it rained really hard before and made a river right down the center of our farm and took out our carrot, our fall planting of carrots and three beds of salad mix and beets and continued to go right through the greenhouse and took out a bunch of stuff. So I have to get that remedied this year. But it was a good, it was a good experience because now I know what's going to happen so I can fix it. Um, this is a heater that I just put in last week. I don't have it fully done, but it's a wood stove with coils on the top that I can then pump up to this tank and keep the water at 160 degrees or something. And then from there I can circulate it out to my starts bench. And um, also this fan has a, a fan on the bottom that'll blow hot air out. And then I can also take the hot water from the tank and take it where I want and put in water, you know, fan heat exchangers. So, and these are the kind of gems that you need to look for, right? Whenever you're out and about and you see somebody's, what you might consider junk in somebody's yard, is stop and ask them and see if they want to sell it. I got this whole setup and a log splitter that's like a beast of a machine for a thousand bucks. And, um, you know, this tank alone is worth more than that, so. So harvesting to selling, um, you want to put in the work before you harvest, right? So when you're out harvesting salad, it's not the time to be weeding, right? Especially if you're using the salad harvester. It's not a good idea. Um, you want to keep your tomatoes pruned so they're easy to pick. You know, you guys, most, I'm sure most of you have been like in a jungle of tomatoes where they're like coming over your head and your hair is getting all green and sticky and you're trying to get the tomatoes and it's not fun. Nobody enjoys that. The tomatoes don't even enjoy it. Um, use the right watering method so that everything is not covered in dirt. You know, we have some of our greens outside and you get a thunderstorm and it comes through and it pounds everything. You know, now you've got to like triple wash your triple wash. It's taking a lot of time, so try and keep things watered right. Um, keep things weeded so that you can use the appropriate tools, like the salad harvester. Um, another thing is, you know, make sure your carrots are moist before you harvest. It's not fun digging rock-hard carrots. Some of the stuff, most of all the stuff is common sense, but we get so used to just doing it and doing it because we got to do it, and we just keep going. Stop and think what you're doing. Here's some beets that we transplanted, you know, three inches apart, and they're pretty much all the same size, really easy to harvest. They look beautiful. You know, the leaves aren't wilting and everything. There's some chard. Um, you know, so think about how you harvest it. Some people will harvest everything out in the field and they take it in and wash it and bundle it and some people will do it out in the field and you know you have to find what works for you but there's lots of theories out there. Um, so there's some tomatoes that we had and these were like three weeks, two weeks before they got hailed on and destroyed so we had to go to church and we left the greenhouse open a little bit and we had that big hailstorm but um, so these kind of tomatoes are fun to harvest, right? You can go down there, whip through it, you know, you can pick 100 pounds in no time flat, and it, it's enjoyable to be in that environment, right? I think that's what the Lord has called us to, high standards. Um, these are 
Rubelski, I think. Well, these, the ones on the right are Cosmonaut, and the ones on the left are Rubelski. You know, the Rubelski are a nice, firm tomato, and they, they hold their firmness. They'll stay on the vine. So variety obviously has a big part to do with it. Here, um, here's some landscape fabric that we burnt. This can aid in weeding and keeping your greens clean. You know, the dirt can't splash up on them. They're quick to harvest. So you know, there's lots of different methods. We can also do this with a paper pot transplanter, which we do. You know, but then you have to weed it. So you kind of have to decide what you want to do. We use a little bit of both right now because we're trying to figure out what we want to do. There's some other head lettuce. You know, here we have it in the aisle way and everywhere, so there's no weeds. You put it down once, it's done. Here's some of our kids. This is a few years back, but um, it's cute and everything, but this is sometimes what we do, right? It's, we get out there in our ladders and we're trying to get to the top of our overgrown tomatoes, and it's not safe, it's not quick. Um, you know, so we want to keep things at a good height. So we keep all our trellises at eight foot tall. I can reach eight foot. Um, we trellis our cucumbers, our tomatoes, our zucchini, our summer squash, our pole beans, our cherry tomatoes. Um, that's about, about it right now. I actually didn't know you could trellis zucchini or summer squash until I was at Whitmar's house and I saw him do it and I thought he was a genius. So I started doing it um, and it, it does work good. It doesn't give space for uh, squash bugs to hide under the big leaves and takes up way less space. It's not prickly because it's all at a good height. You just have to make sure your string can handle it. Um, stay off ladders as much as possible when harvesting. So our, we have all our trails wired at eight foot and eventually I think we'll probably get, there's a new system. It's not probably new, but it's new to me. It's called the clipper system and it has a stainless steel rod. It's three foot long and um, anyway, you can write it down, check it out, but that allows you to work basically three feet lower than the eight foot and you can Clipper is like Q-L-I-P-R. Um, and it's like, I think it comes out to $2 a plant for the wire and the hooks. Um, but it's a really good system from what I can tell. So there are some of our tomatoes early on. You can see the trellis wire at eight foot tall. Um, the strings, the everything. So another part of being lean in my estimation is um, trying to use whatever you have available to get the job done. Um, so here we had a moving truck, so I had a friend come up. And it's kind of fun doing this stuff too, so that, that helps. But we took it off and we made this our packing shed this year. And it's uh, seven and a half or eight by 24. And it was plenty big for what we're doing. I think this should probably last for a good year or two maybe. Um, so there's kind of our arrangement. We put in water to every sink to the washing machine where we spin our salad. Um, we put in power for lights. We got a shelf there for our totes and the, the big tub there is where we wash our our totes. Um, simple, quick, we had it, so it was quick for us. We got a cooler from a friend. It was sitting in their garage, and we stuck a, a little AC unit with a cool bot in there. And you know, it probably took me two or three days to get this whole thing up and going. So try and try and use what you have to find something local. Uh, water. Another problem we have in South Dakota is um, it gets really cold, and it gets really cold in the winter. So we either have to put our pipes at six foot deep or figure something else out. And I didn't have money to dig six foot ditches. And actually the people that put the, that brought the water in before, they had to bring a huge excavator out and jackhammer through solid granite. And it cost them a lot of money. So I put all my pipe eight inches down, roughly, and put it on a slope so that in the winter I can turn one valve 
two valves, and the whole thing will drain out in about five minutes. And the same water goes to my packing shed. So if I need to go out and um, wash something in the winter, I can turn the water on, let it fill up, do what I need to do, drain it, and it's done. So it's not ideal. I'd rather have it all six foot down and to where I can just turn it on whenever I want, but this is what I got. It works good. Uh, what to grow? Um, again, pretty basic stuff. You want to grow what your customers want. We have a hard time with this because we grow what we want to grow, right? And then we try and push it onto them. So, you know, we'll grow a cucumber that's yellow and kind of weird shaped because it tastes really good. But 90% of the customers that come by and look at it say, what's wrong with that thing? You know, it's not ripe or it's overripe or something. You know, and you really got to sample it and try and push it. And I, there's room for that, but um, you got to be careful. I think you want to try and cut down on your varieties. Uh, maybe five varieties of tomatoes instead of 35. Don't be a jack of all trades, master of none. Um, before I got into agriculture, I was a, a home builder and I enjoyed doing every aspect from the excavation to the roofing to plumbing, everything. And, um, you know, you've all heard that phrase, right? <coughs> jack of all trades, master of none. And we, we kind of put it with the, the construction people and we kind of make, you know, it's not a good thing, generally speaking, right? Um, but when it comes to farming, we don't really think of it that way. We think the more the better, and I don't think that's the case. I think you want to get really good at what you're doing. Um, so you want to find markets and let them pull the food from you instead of you pushing it on them. You know, so if we have restaurants that want to buy a lot of salad mix, um, you know, if I like growing salad mix and it grows well, that's what I should do. You know, if they want tomatoes, if they want carrots. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're trying to really grow what people want, do them well, do more of them. And one thing that you can do, uh, which I think helps a lot, is you can have your own little garden that you can grow all the varieties you want to grow. You can test different crops. Um, or you can set aside maybe 20% of your farm and say, I'm gonna, this is the most I'm going to do with new varieties or unique things. Because I think unique things are good, but when they start encroaching everywhere on your farm, that's when you get in trouble. So you can have a budget of uniqueness. Uh, you, you can grow crops in the shoulder season so that you can change a, charge a premium. Um, so this is one thing that Ben Hartman does that I think is unique, is that he'll grow early in the spring and late in the fall, and he actually, he has a CSA, but in the summer, he'll take two or three weeks off of the CSA. He'll stop it, go on vacation, do different things, and come back and pick it up. So you don't have to do what everybody does. Usually there's an advantage to not doing that. Um, so putting it all together, um, organize. You can go home and get rid of your junk. Um, Get rid of time wasters, like tools you don't use. Um, put things where you use them and make a system to make sure they get put back. So some people like Connor Crickmore, you know, he has systems to where at the end of every day he has systems in place to make sure that every tool is back. And there's a checklist and people are responsible. If it's just you, there's a 50-50 chance you'll do that, right? There's a 50 chance You'll leave it out in the field, or you'll put it back. But um, when you have employees or kids, I think a lot of times they're similar, um, you have to have systems so that the tools get back where you put them. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't really raised doing that, so I'm having to learn this now. Right, this is something that we should be teaching our kids. Um, it's not any different you know, if you're in the house and you're looking for your pizza cutter, you know, it's, just, it's nice if it's where you put it, you know, and it's always there. Uh, you can find a beginning farmer and give them all the stuff you're not using anymore, right, and they'll be like a kid in a candy store, because I'm sure you have stuff that would help them. Um, if you haven't used it in six months, it might be a time to migrate it out. Um, 
So one thing you can do is on your farm have a room where you put stuff that you're not using and you know, create your own system. If it's there for five months and you're not using it, you can get rid of it. You can also have a room where you're keeping stuff for experimentation, making tools or different things. Um, purge your life, right? Again, this is not just farming, it's, it's a way of living. I think we should reset our priorities. I think we should seek the Lord and see where you're out of balance and begin to change now. Right? And these are small incremental changes. Just do something. Make boundaries and stick to them. Often time restraints can be a big blessing. All right, so maybe you can only work 45 hours during a week in the summer, which might be kind of hard, right? But if you say you only have this amount of time to do it, you're going to be more efficient than if you say, I got till sundown, right? And you're just out there doing it. <clears throat> we should live in the moment because the moments fly by and these kinds of things won't be there, right? So have fun. See, these are some of the old stakes that I had I didn't like. All right, but she's our, our product tester. And every time we have new customers come to the farm, she's always giving them like half-eaten peppers and tomatoes and people, people love it. So um, here's a saying I heard a long time ago, and it says, how you do anything is how you do everything. Right? So if your house is dirty, there's a good chance your car is dirty. Right? If, um, if you're, uh, well, you get the idea, right? Um, so what you, you want to start doing everything how, is how you'd want to do everything. So you want to start keeping your house clean, your car clean. You know, you want to um, keep the farm clean. You just want to do all to the glory of God. And when I think of people in the Bible that were lean, you know, I think of, uh, I think Joseph was probably pretty lean. You know, and, and Daniel and the children of Israel out in the desert. That was a tight ship, right? And I think the thing that we need to do um, is seek the Lord and see what he has planned for us and see what systems he has. So here, here's an idea of systems in the house. We're doing homeschooling, and um, we had a problem with crayons and things getting on the floor, and I'd step on them and break them and vacuum them and all kinds of stuff. So we made a board, and there's a checklist there. You know, if you want crayons, you have to check it off, right? And if you want a ruler, you got to check it off, or a pencil or a pen. And this isn't like torture for the kids. It's, it's liberating because when they want a crayon or scissors or tape, they know right where it's at. They go and they get it, and they check it off. And um, I'd like to say that always happens, but, you know, if you're not diligent, things will start disappearing. You know, so then all you do is you go back to your system and see, what do I have to do to tweak this, right? And maybe if they don't put it back, it just disappears for a week, you know? Or, you know, you make up whatever you want to do. But you just, you keep noticing the little things and keep improving, keep improving. Zero out at the end of the day. Um, so an idea of this is you want your wash station clean and ready for the next day. Nobody likes coming back out and having to wash everything and clean everything before they harvest. All tools put back and ready for action. So one thing we've done in our house is we've started to try and zero out the, the whole house at the end of the day. So um, it's all hands on deck. It takes us about half an hour. And we vacuum. All the dishes are clean. Counters are clean. Everything's put back. And it's really nice waking up ready to go. Um, you know, when you get back from market, make sure everything's cleaned out so that next time when you're loading up, you're not looking for the scale or making sure that it has batteries. You know, just be diligent. Uh, make systems. Make a system, and when an improvement comes along, tweak it and keep going. All right, this is it's what you do. Don't be afraid of failure. Just do something. Then stand back, take a look at it, and improve it. Keep doing this, and it will only get better and better. All right? It won't get worse.
be a team. Uh, farming is a lifestyle. Help with all aspects. All right, so don't be the guy that expects your wife and kids to come out on the farm and help all day, right? And then expect her to go back and cook all the meals and do all the dishes and do all the housework, right? Like, be a team. Work together. Teach your kids by example. Don't be, afraid, don't be afraid to step away from the farm for a day if need be. And don't be afraid to try new things. Okay, so this is, this is a hoe I made because I got tired of bending over. And it's just a piece of EMT. So you can see the... I'm kind of hoeing in one spot just so you can see the idea here. But Oops, hold on. This is like a 10-foot handle, I think. Like it just keeps going and going. But I don't really have to bend over. I got supervisors too. You get the idea, right? Just have fun with it and try new things. So it's me and my wife working on putting the plastic up. Um, work hard and don't forget to have fun. I think this is a big area that we have a hard time with. You know, <coughs> it's not all work. You need to play in there. Here we are at the beach. We have this really nice beach that's about an hour from us. We go down there a lot because there's nobody there. It's really nice. So let's purpose to be ever improving, allowing us to allowing Christ to teach us new methods. And I think you know Bob was talking about this a little bit last night. Is um, don't just look at what the world is doing and copy them. I think this is a um, thing that I need to really improve on. Is looking at every step and asking the Lord what it is that we what I can do to improve it. Not just taking what the world has done and do it. Not that they don't have some good methods in there, but creating the appropriate size farms to have a balanced life. Setting limits and boundaries for our work as to not give the devil a foothold. Uh, slowing down enough to hear God walking and talking with us in the garden. Right? The garden doesn't serve its purpose if we're just screaming around on a tractor day in, day out. Uh, using the garden as an appropriate tool to further the work that God has given us to do. And here's a few books. Um, you can use the Bible, Ellen White, Councils on Agriculture. There's some other books on the back there. So that we have most of these books back at the booth for the at Agra. Uh, there's Lean Farm by Ben Hartman. He's got a new one on growing vegetables. There's The Market Gardener by John Martin. There's a course right now that Neversink is doing. Um, it's kind of expensive. I think it's like $2,000 now. Um, but it's worth... I'm, I'm taking it. I didn't pay that much, but um, it's worth every penny that I've seen so far. So, um, anyway, get on the journey, start the process, and I think this is in at 10.30? Yep. So we got a few minutes if there's any questions before the next session. So the question is, how does the, on the paper pot transplanter, how do you get the seeds in there? And when you buy it, it comes on a little tiny uh, paper chain, and you open it up like a honeycomb. And then it has 262 cells or something. So it, it ends up being like a regular kind of 1020 tray with cells in it. So you grow it right in? Yeah, you grow it right in the paper. Matt, what's your favorite tool on the farm? Uh, it saves you, it helps you to be efficient. I think the paper pot transplanter is the one right now. But you know, now it's the Sabbath, my mind has rest. So the question was, how do you get students high school students to be efficient and then how do you detox your mind for the Sabbath and I think with the students the thing that I would encourage is to put give them responsibility and give them you know put it in their court to make things more and more efficient so whatever they do when they get done for the day ask them how they can do it better you know and then have them do it tomorrow and then just keep asking that and I think for 
the Sabbath, I think the best thing you can do is prepare early. You know, put time into thinking, what am I going to do so that the Sabbath, I don't have to do it. I don't have to be out there working and use your brain. Yes. Uh, sorry, one, one, one more question. Well, it's only, sorry, the question was my, uh, my planting my pack house would only last for a year, and that's because I'm going to outgrow it. I'll have too much stuff coming in. No, I'm not going to wear it out, but. Um, do we have one more? Yeah. So that, yeah, the next, also a reminder, the next session, which this one is currently over, is on lean farming, just a round table, so we can all discuss ideas and ask questions, so. Do you have a website? I don't have a website, but all this information will be on the AdAgra website, so you can look at it. Thank you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.